Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin Have a Podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about the lighthouse. As always, I'm your host, Corbin Zavokal, and joining me is my fellow wiki, Cody Webb. Cody, how's it going? Are you uh, tending the lighthouse well these days? Yeah, everything's good on uh, you know the storm front, I would say, these days. It looks uh, beautiful behind you. I, can, I mean, your background, it's tranquil. Really mesmerizing, I would say. I think this was the, the opening shot of the movie, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then the storm, you know, just got much, much worse. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing great. Excited to be here. I think it's going to be a fun episode today. Very excited to talk about The Lighthouse. So let's go ahead and get into it with why. Why, 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 why so serious? Cody, why did you want to talk about The Lighthouse? It's a good question. Um, it was my pick again in the season. Um, since you, uh, you know, picked your last one on John Wick. You know, I had a bunch of different ideas where to go. I feel like, you know, in classic seasons past, I've picked a movie that, you know, I haven't seen a la, uh, you know, Annihilation and uh, Goodfellas. So, you know, I figured for this season, we might as well bring in one of those as well. And uh, yeah, so obviously I'd never seen it. And um, I like Willem Dafoe and Rob Pat a lot. I knew the main cast. And uh, I also heard it was it was pretty insane movie, you know, a little bit chaotic and crazy. So I figured it'd be a fun one for the pod. But yeah, pretty much just because I haven't seen it. That was, that was the main reasoning. Yeah, you had thrown like a couple options, ideas that you were thinking at me. And the lighthouse I hadn't seen either. So I was like, yeah, let's do that one. I, I had heard similar things. I knew it was going to be a wacky experience. And also I think it's cool because not to like continue to harp on the April Fool's episode we did, but you know, that was a twilight podcast and they talked about Robert Pattinson. And it's interesting to see because like in a funny way, this is like part of the movie that was like the Robert Pattinson Renaissance in the both mainstream and also like film bro-y indie art house a24 sort of way that happened with like good time and high life it's interesting to look at twilight in comparison to this this is like where the guys came around to robert pattinson so of course we're the two uh the dudes on the podcast talking about the lighthouse it's it's very much a a bro-y movie we can probably uh, get that out of the way i don't know I, i'd probably classify us as film bros you know not in the, in the negative connotation of the word but i feel like we're definitely in in that category in some sense and uh, we have our opinions that differ and we we see both sides sometimes we're not the classic film bros but i think we're we're part of the community <laughs> um, <laughs> i am wearing a letterbox hat Right now. Yeah. So, yeah. classic but uh also i mean we're, we've covered a lot of robert pattinson movies now especially including the um the april's fool episode obviously we did the batman way back and i mean this one and he, he really doesn't have too many movies that's about it. <laughs> good time uh, i mean three though i feel like that's pretty good numbers you know for cap altogether we, we might have to do some uh yeah stats of actors that have appeared the most i mean obviously <laughs> defoe we've we've gotten him as well with he i mean he's in spider-man and he's in spider-man no way home so we've done both those it's also in john wick oh, damn straight back to back baby <laughs> barely remember in that movie but this yeah, really we're... this really does pair with our last two movies it's incredible yeah it's kind of a you know kind of good pairing for Defoe and, and Pat stands. So I think, uh, you know, fans of both those actors should at least be tuning in this episode. So that's a positive. Hey, I'm a huge fan. And let's move over to Do You Remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? So Cody, I, I know this is going to be hard for both of us, yeah. but uh, set the scene. How'd you watch this? Tough looking back, you know, I don't have the best long-term memory, but uh, yeah, you know, I watched it yesterday through Apple TV. I was actually scouring all of the, uh, the streaming platform I'm just trying to find it somewhere showtime but, i believe has it yeah i didn't really want to do showtime free for a month or whatever so i just rented it for like three bucks on apple tv yeah good experience you know i think this would be a good one uh, to see in the theater just kind of by its stylistic choices and uh 
pretty good camera work as well. But yeah, it was a good time. Shout out Apple TV. Still don't have Apple TV Plus, but uh, you know, when uh, there's no nowhere to watch these things, Apple TV can rent it out real nice. So shout out to them. You know, it's weird because I hardly ever use Apple TV to rent things. I almost always rent stuff on Amazon Prime just because like I have like gift cards and stuff in there or like I have an Amazon credit card. So like I rarely go to Apple TV Plus, but for whatever reason, I did rent this on Apple TV. Uh, I guess it was just calling out to me. It felt like the right aesthetic to see it. So, But I watched this right after we recorded our last episode at like one in the morning, completely oh, wow. dark in the house, had my big monitor, uh, and was just engulfed in the, in the black and white beauty of uh, Robert Edgar's uh, direction nice i did watch it during the day i feel like again stylistically choices it would have made a lot more sense to watch that night but also i mean like this is kind of just like a horror like it's horror-esque i would say i don't even know what genre well let's film. let's throw it over initial yeah. thoughts because i kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit yeah Good morning, Vietnam! yeah what do you think what genre would you classify this as because i think it is difficult to place it i don't <laughs> yeah i don't know that's what i was saying I think there are horror aspects, obviously, for sure in there, but I don't really think it's a horror movie. I mean, I'd go drama, thriller, horror, somewhere in there. I want to say off the bat, like, this conversation is going to be very similar to our Midsummer conversation, our Annihilation conversation, like you brought up, where this is a movie that has a lot of interpretations that you can have. There's a lot of things to unpack. I'm sure we're going to not really fully understand some different things, and we're not going to get things right, but we're going to share our general thoughts um, it also fits well with those two because, like you said, it's hard to place in a genre. Some people would maybe refer to this as like an elevated horror, both in you know a co- negative context or a positive context. You know that term can be jaded and and not. But uh, if you look at the letterbox genre, it is defined as a thriller, fantasy, drama, horror. So it's really just touching all the bases. It's it's really yeah. kind of all over the place. Also, it's like ridiculously Shakespearean dialogue. Uh, and it feels like a play a lot of times too. So, well, it's like I, a weird mix because there's moments uh, of that where it's super, you could say Shakespearean, but also a mix of like these sea shanty esque sayings and poetry and that type of stuff. But there's also like di- lines of dialogue that feel just like completely anachronistic and like modern. And it's it's that weird juxtaposition at times that's really interesting, I think. Yeah. I mean, the script, I don't know. I feel like it is pretty strong on paper coming out of these guys' mouth. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes like, what the hell did they just say? Um, <laughs> it's about a subtitle watch. I, I definitely recommend some subtitles. Oh, 100% a subtitle watch. But I will say it is unbelievably quotable. I think uh, when we get to <laughs> whose line it is anyways, we're going to have a field day. because Let's save the, things, the accents for there. <laughs> yeah. But some of the things these guys are saying, it is just off the wall and super memorable. So I like that. And like I was saying earlier too, I, I think it's shot really, really interesting. Sort of when they are having either a long monologue or kind of having back and forth scenes. Like you get close-ups of Rob Pat and Willem Dafoe just like spouting out. It's almost like they're wrapping these lines as quickly as possible. There's a rhythm. There's I think that's like in the same way that like iambic pentameter and Shakespeare has that particular rhythm of speaking. It's the same thing. There is a certain fluidity and pacing to the way that they deliver their lines throughout it. And it is, it is very musical and, and, and poetic in an interesting way i think the what you said of it kind of being like a sea shanty like this whole movie could be a song loki i feel like yeah it's like an old tale like you you, yeah. you spin a yarn <laughs> i like that uh but yeah the black and white i want your opinion on that as well because 
I don't know. I feel like it's not completely necessary. I don't know if they're trying to like depict a, a certain time period maybe with this. I, I do have a little background on that if, if okay. you want me to. Because I mean, just like the uh, the nighttime shots, obviously it makes a lot of sense, but I don't know if it's necessary the entire film basically. So what they were using was something called orthochromatic film. And like, we're trying to mimic this old time photography practice where it's a lot of, if you see like portraits from this time period, <laughs> the late 1800s, where it's, it's very similar to the look of this, where it's like the dark faces and everything's washed out. It basically eliminates, eliminates all a lot of the, the red waves and the red tones in it. So that's where you get the sky that's extremely washed out and just seems gray. So that's what they're using. And then you get those moments where like in my background, where it literally opens with what seems like a portrait where they're posing for that. Right. Um, and then of course you have the aspect ratio. It's, it's not one by one by one. It is 1.19 by one. So almost a perfect square, but not quite, but it just kind of, you know, I think that's very intentional in the way that it makes the characters feel boxed in and tight and like claustrophobic. And there is no escaping. They're stuck on this Island together. They're stuck in this house. They have to live together. Um, they sleep in these beds next to each other where they're literally shitting and jerking off next to like, it's just this awful closed in way of life. And so I think the cinematography and the direction does a great job of uh, really pulling that all together. And I think it is a really beautiful film. Um, even your background, obviously, most of yours can't see it, but just like that opening scene of them carrying all the crap up, it literally is just a photographic shot right there. I really love that style at the beginning. Um, and yeah, I mean, as it goes along here, we can touch more into the story points, but I mean, it, it's basically just like these two guys dissenting into madness in a sense, but it's pretty confusing. Um, I'm not entirely sure of what's real and and what's in whose heads and who's crazy and who's not crazy yeah i don't know i think alcoholism has a lot to do with it <laughs> and i'll tell you what this may be the most alcohol i've ever seen in one movie uh, that's got to be somewhere in the record books of at least the top five or top ten i would say this in project x it's like <laughs> yeah. where do we go <laughs> project x is probably close if you like eliminate party movies out of the equation i think this is one of the highest of all time but yeah, I guess, what are your thoughts on the general story? Um, just because, like, it does get a little bit insane, I think, as it goes along. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely going to get into it with both the good and the bad. But, like, it is wacky and weird, and it's hard to follow. And there's some moments. Uh, the thing is, I don't think I don't think it's being attempting to be overly, like, subtextual. I think it's, like, pretty obvious with, like, what it's meaning. Like, these homoerotic undertones and the power dynamics and this like Oedipal relationship of Rob Pattinson basically needing a father figure and Willem Dafoe's character basically needing someone to have you know power over and be able to abuse and Robert Eggers said he wanted to make a movie that uh Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud would like yeah. so I think there's some very clear and obvious <laughs> interpretations that you can take out of that statement um but yeah in, in terms of the story it's strange it's wacky but it's different and it's fun and before we move on, do you know anything about like the background of, you know, this story and how it came about, like what it's based on? Uh, no, definitely not. I would assume it's some, some old, you know, uh, fiction that was written, you know, the 1600s, uh, but I've I no idea. It's a combination of real life events and an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation, actually. I was going so, to name drop him, but that's actually, that does not surprise me at all. It's yeah, exactly. It definitely has those vibes. It, it, it feels the 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 raven the telltale heart like that aesthetic of everything that poe does it makes a lot of sense so he had there was like an unfinished edgar Allan poe thing the lighthouse that he wrote and i think it was robert edgar's brother was trying to like do an adaptation of that and then he had a conversation with robert eggers over dinner and they found this real life tragedy 
called the Smalls Lighthouse Strategy was actually very similar, where Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffin, these two guys who managed the lighthouse were a team. They were known to publicly quarrel with each other. Thomas Griffin died in this freak accident. And the other one, Thomas Howell, feared that if they like figured it, like found the body, he would get in trouble for it. And like he would be accused of murder. So he like built a coffin and tried to bury it, but then or he like tried to put it outside, but then the wind blew it away. And like the body was just hanging on the like the rocks and would like motion to people in the wind or something. This is Wikipedia research. I, I don't know. Basically, eventually he comes and gets picked up and they discover this awful tragedy. All of like this guy's friends said when he returned, he was like unrecognizable. He was a completely changed man. Something on that island happened and it was just like spooky shit. Um, and because of this, they moved that there had to be three people that were manning these islands and these rosters. <laughs> um, yeah, which is pretty interesting. I like that, actually. So this movie is basically just a direct repercussion of the lighthouse, you know, career as a whole from moving from two people to three people. Which, uh, yeah, from this movie, I, I back that. I, I think that makes sense. So, <laughs> you need somebody uh, to, to relieve yeah. the tension sometimes. I like that a lot, though. Yeah, that is funny. It's it's kind of based on a true story, which I wouldn't have guessed. I mean, they mentioned, like, oh, sometimes when storms get bad, like, people get, you know, stuck out here for forever. So I guess that makes sense on it would happen in the olden days like that. But, um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, a little bit of fiction, a little bit of nonfiction, that makes kind of the best story sometimes. So I, like I got to say, like, that feeling... You know, we live in a digital age where like you can connect with anyone and you can send messages halfway across the globe. And like, yes, there are still parts of the world that are more remote and like you can't connect with people. But can you imagine like in the 18, like the late 1890s, you literally have no connection to the world. A storm happens. You never know if people could also just like forget about you. They'd be like, ah, who cares? And like never, there is literally nothing you could do. You are trapped on this island. And this, those feelings of desolation are prominent throughout. And I think it's really strong to kind of tap into that. And I think that's why you can kind of buy into sort of the insanity aspect of it as well. Like, I mean, they're stranded, like nobody's coming for them. The storm is never going to end. It's literally just them two on this island. Probably it felt like to them for for literally the rest of their lives. So you can understand kind of character-wise where, where their headspace might be at too. I agree. Let's move over to trailer talk. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living, just like any man. Starting new. On the run. Secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? Why just spill your beans? Recollect. 
Uh, you selected the first trailer released by A24. What did you think about it? I thought it was good. Yeah, basically, I mean, there was two trailers that was released. I picked one with more views and the one that dropped first, basically. 12 million. Yeah, I mean, good amount of views, I feel like. We'll have to talk about box office-wise, but I don't think it did that well. So that's pretty interesting, um, you know, just viewership on that, I would say. Yeah, I like the trailer. I thought it it kind of included a lot of some of the best shots in the movie without actually giving away plot points, which I like. And also, like, the foghorn, like, is a cool opening sound and a cool ending sound, just because it is incorporated in the movie a lot, too. But it kind of has, like, that sort of Inception trailer vibes where it's the... Uh, but it actually yeah, the blah, whatever but it, it actually like makes sense for this movie like it's it's kind of an, a character in itself i would say because it's it's bang the entire uh, mofo movie so i thought that was cool for the trailer to open like that but yeah i thought like good job setting up the dialogue style and the visual style too you get a hint of you know a little bit of the mono- monologues from you know willem and, and rob pat at very different times you know very varying through the movie it does kind of jump all over the place and it even does have a shot of uh, Robert Pattinson burying Willem Dafoe. You're taking all my stuff, man. You're saying everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I got your notes. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you don't know Willem Dafoe is, is being buried. And it is kind of just a cool shot of, you know, him shoveling some dirt or whatever. But I thought that's kind of a cool callback after seeing the movie too. Talking about the box office, this had a budget of $11 million and grossed over $18 million worldwide. So for a small movie right. produced by yeah. A24, uh, especially being sold on Robert Eggers. This was obviously a bigger budget from The Witch. The, the Witch had a budget of $4 million. Robert Eggers gets to do this movie with a budget of, you know, about $11 million. He's working with some bigger stars. Obviously, Anya Taylor-Joy at the time was not a huge star like she is now. Um, but no, this movie, like, you know, I think it was pretty successful for like an indie independent film with just like two actors that probably did not show, it probably showed maybe like a thousand theaters worldwide, if even that, or not worldwide, but like across the country, you know, did not definitely have a wide release. I do want to mention the, why just spilled your beans, but just like gets repeated over (laughs) and over in this trailer, which is just incredible stuff. I I love that. Yeah. And there's also like several pieces of dialogue that does get repeated over and over again in the movie. And including the <laughs> why'd you spill your beans, I think is a fun one to have in there. It kind of just, it hints at the notion of, you know, the script's a little bonkers. Um, so at least expect some craziness. And I think that definitely is portrayed in the trailer. So I, I like that too. For sure. All right, let's move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll get us started here with the good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that is what makes this work is that Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, everyone involved completely and totally buys in. There's a commitment that is you clearly seen by the characters on screen. Like they were on this shitty Island where it was cold and they would just do these scenes all day. And then they wouldn't talk to each other (laughs) and they would just be miserable. (laughs) But like everyone is committed to saying these wacky lines of dialogue and to completely being invested in the material. Um, And I think that's just, is needed and you have great acting performances because of that their real relationship and interactions are extremely interesting because of that and that was definitely the thing on, on the top of my list as well i mean the commitment as you mentioned um in the two main actors it's pretty insane i mean it's literally the only two people we pretty much see on screen there's another character who has no lines really and we'll, we'll get into later obviously but um i mean they literally have to carry the story on their backs 
So props to them. I think without either Rob Pat or Willem Dafoe, this is a completely different movie. So acting wise, I think off the top, that's something we need to definitely shout out. I also think it's just incredible casting because especially in terms of the Rob Pattinson, like he's playing both with type and against type. And the idea of like, he's a pretty boy, like that's what he, you know, made his name on, right? He was Cedric Diggory. He was Twilight or he was, you know, fucking Edward Cullen and Twilight. Like he made his name on being like the heartthrob pretty boy. And so he's, his character is kind of supposed to be that. He's supposed to be like this handsome guy who's you know underappreciated and is a little bit of a runaway but then it's also the thing of like he's also kind of wacky and weird and he says like weird shit in interviews and has an insane personality so it's like playing into that and it's mixing both of those things against each other in the performance that he gives which i think is incredibly smart willem dafoe is playing a lot more into what he is has done for a lot of his career obviously he can go up and down um robert pattinson was more of a transformation i would say from the beginning to end though I feel like, um, I don't know Willem Dafoe, but I feel like this is uh, what he normally does in his everyday life. I feel like if you just strip back. If you put him on an island, this is yeah. definitely how he would act. Like, no <laughs> doubt. He would That's go full for it. If you stripped him back from society a little bit and just had like a one-on-one hangout with Willem I'm Dafoe. not sure how much into society he is. But, <laughs> there. but I feel like uh, this character was pretty perfect for him. So I agree on the casting part there. And yeah, Rod Pat, kind of the first two acts, I feel like he doesn't have a ton to do kind of just like oh he's Willem Dafoe's you know bitch a little bit but I mean as the story goes on he kind of descends into madness I think more specifically than Willem Dafoe so I think he has a little bit more to do there too then yeah the third act he just goes completely bonkers but I think performance-wise it was still pretty strong especially for Rob Pat like you were saying I mean coming off of good time I mean that's a good performance it's pretty much nothing like this at all I would say he does like a man at struggle, a man at, at odds yeah. end. And, and that's sure. like what got good time is a little bit. I agree. But I think they're both ridiculously good. So definitely want to start with that. Past that for me, uh, cinematography I mentioned is pretty freaking dope. Um, just the Oscar uh, nominated. Yeah. And deservedly. So, I mean, the shot of them just standing in front of the lighthouse for the storm to ridiculously, ridiculously cool. Every shot is, is really well thought out. And um, that is probably my favorite part of this movie entirely. Uh, past that too costume design set design really really strong the clothes i love for the period piece and just the lighthouse look in general i really like and um, i believe uh, some of the birds are practical here i would assume not all of them are i heard rumblings of a bird trainer <laughs> okay interesting and i can believe that too because there are a lot of scenes uh, you know involving the birds here but I thought they were all really well done. I mean, even in the beginning undertones of like, oh, the Rob's, I mean, uh, the birds don't like Robert Pattinson, kind of just like pecking at his clothes. And then <laughs> it eventually boils down, obviously, to the scene where he, uh, I would say pretty brutally uh, murders one of these birds for, for a good amount of time. It's intense. Uh, <laughs> and then the ending as well, which we can fast forward to, I guess, you know, the birds are doing their job. So shout out to the birds in this movie. Um, I didn't even think about them uh, to knight them, but that would probably be my pick. But uh, yeah, shout out the birds, man. The, I, I just want to say like practically, I think they did really, really well on that end as well. Kind of all the technicals in this movie is ridiculously up to par, I would say. Definitely. You're, you're spoil, spoiling my knighting, Cody. What the fuck, man? <laughs> You've talked about like this idea of a descent into madness and it's almost like from the moment they step onto the island, it's like a descent into hell is what I see it as. And uh, 
David Sims of The Atlantic wrote, the remote, desolate lighthouse that Winslow moves into at the start of the film would be foreboding enough without those dreary, shuddering honks, talking about the foghorn. But the way Edgar shoots and scores this movie, Winslow might as well be crossing into the underworld. And I really think that is, like, he's moving into hell and Willem Dafoe is basically like Satan presiding over him, putting him, you know, in an eternal punishment in a certain sort of way, um, you know, is one interpretation of this for sure. Another thing I just like a lot of the cool imagery, obviously the one that I like was instantly able to pick out is that ending of Rob Pattinson splayed out dead with the birds pecking out. Like we talked about very much the Prometheus idea. Obviously that's like chained to the rocks forced to, have his intestines eaten out every day and then regrown and eaten every day as eternal punishment for giving man fire, you know, definitely an interesting callback to that. Um, you have the idea of like the sirens and the mermaids and that particular character that I'm sure you want to talk about more later. So you shaking your head. Defoe at, at points is representative of this uh, character in mythology, Protus, um, who's kind of like an advisor or works with Poseidon. There's that particular shot where he's got like the crazy barnacle outfit also shout out to aquaman uh where does he king triton in that or what character does defoe play I, I don't even know oh shit i forgot he said aquaman yeah i don't even know who he plays yeah who knows and then of course there's also the the sick shot of uh they're like naked and the he's like grabs him and there's the light shining from his eyes yeah down which is the the reference to this painting from 1904 called the hypnosis um, which literally it's like exactly the painting, which I, I just think is a cool reference to bring in. Yeah, a lot of weird stuff. I don't know what half you're talking about there, to be fair, but <laughs> the one scene with um with naked defoe with like the light coming in his eyes visually, I'd love that. Doesn't really make sense in context, but yeah, one uh one scene that I wanted to bring up as well. I think this is, might be my favorite scene um in the entire film. It's like the dance scene. So it starts off kind of with the craziness of them just singing. It, it, I think it's like this. Them, basically them getting drunk for the first time, right? Well, I don't know if it's the first time. It, I mean, they drink so much. In this movie. It's when they like, it's their last day. Yeah, I think so, actually. I think, I, I don't know. But uh, basically it starts off with a crazy dance scene. And then somehow it goes into the slow scene <laughs> with, like you were saying, a lot of homoerotic tones there. You think they're going to kiss for a second. And then it ends up just being a straight up, like, uh, you know, bare knuckle fist fight at the end <laughs> with rob pat throwing just body shots off the top but yeah i think that really just sums up the movie perfectly of just crazy unexpectedness you never know what's going to happen next but it is kind of centered around these two characters and and they're really you know unique and, and uh, ever-changing relationship so that probably for me was symbolically and just like on a, a humorous level my favorite scene yeah the like i mean it's it's hard to like differentiate all of the great scenes of their interactions obviously there's the one where the the lobster scene where he curses him and that apparently defoe that was like all shot in one take and defoe did not blink for two minutes straight he was just like oh enthralled with remaining eye, eye contact and being connected and it, i'm just incredible work all around i feel like we could i could cram in some other scenes in the good here but i'm gonna leave it for later on just because there's a ridiculous amount of ridiculous in this movie but yeah that was the gist for me let's talk about the uh bad so just in general it's a bit slow it's got i i don't know like there's something with the story in general that is like not gonna make it ever be my favorite movie of all time i just can't fully connect with like the weird supernatural fabulistic nature of it like i think it's cool i think it's interesting but for me it's not 
it's not the thing that I always want to go to as a movie. It's not something I'm probably going to rewatch a bunch of times. Like I can appreciate it for the art it is. And I think it's really cool, but it is just not, I don't know. Where do you think the rewatchability of this lies? I think I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Uh, no pun intended, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like, you know, artistically this is a fun movie, but for me, it's something that I would want to rewatch. I don't know. Like you said, it's a slow burn too. Like it, it takes a while to kind of get to the point in this movie. And then it does go crazy. But yeah, I probably won't rewatch this anytime soon if I'm being completely honest. The thing is, like, it's not like there is a story, and obviously something happens from start to finish, right? Like there yeah. is there are events. Maybe there isn't really a story, but it's less interested in that, and it's more interested in performance and aesthetic and just putting these two in a box and making them go head to head. Um, and that's okay. Like that's not necessarily a bad thing. We're putting it in the bad here, but like. It, it's okay at, at points like not every movie has to be fully about story so we can appreciate that and you know still say it's not super rewatchable yeah i agree with that and i think the story kind of can get wonky at sometimes which i say we dive into it a little bit i mean the third act i kind of i kind of understand what's going on i kind of don't at the same time uh, maybe we can break these down a little bit more um so i kind of want to start off pretty much at the end almost the kind of confused most confusing scene to me it's kind of the uh, Willem Dafoe. Is it kind of like a sex scene, but also not really? You mentioned already, but it, it's kind of like flickering back and forth between all these realities of um, him having sex with this mermaid lady and then Willem Dafoe with all the tentacles, which was seen earlier in the movie when he was in the lighthouse. So I'm not sure exactly how that plays out. And then, yeah, he just makes him his dog at the end and, and tries to bury him alive. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of enough. Like I said, flickering that... back and forth between all these realities is a little weird for me. Um, visually, I, I like pretty much everything in that, but I'm just kind of confused on is because what I think is going on because nothing, none of this really starts until Robert Pattinson touches the alcohol too much. So I think maybe that's a massive metaphor of maybe he was an alcoholic before, and then this has kind of just made him turn extremely downhill and is kind of having these flashes of obviously he's horny and you know the whole masturbation the set the shed scene i think that plays into this a little bit of you know he's having flashes of wanting to have sex with you know these mermaids and stuff but also i mean there's some sort of fantastical element because i mean they were talking about Wilma defoe's last partner kind of going through the same thing so i'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I, i'm pretty lost in general i would say yeah i don't know if i can really we'll, we'll see i'll do my best <laughs> to dissect it but I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like it's this idea of extreme hyper masculinity, pent up rage when you're put on an Island where you're alone and you can't have sex and you're stuck there. And it goes back to that edible thing where like the son wants to kill his father in the end of the day, right? Like he feels the abuse. He wants to kill his father and marry his mother. I guess in this case, the, the mermaid and the siren is the thing of his attraction or, or maybe even the lighthouse is the, is the wife or the mother in this scenario. You know, he's trying to get up there and, and, and see the light and finally attain it. And, you know, he does have that moment where he, when he sees the light, he experiences what appears to be intense pain, but also maybe some sort of extreme sexual gratification in that weird blurried face ah, scene uh, in, in top of the lighthouse. But yeah, there's definitely that idea of like flipping the power dynamic on its head, taking control. He's putting him in literally the lowest possible position in, in that of an animal as, as a dog and, and puts him on a leash, which, you know, from a modern sexual perspective, but even like a traditional power dynamic perspective is 
clear in what it means and in the tones it has. Um, and then obviously, I guess he just, you know, at the end of the day is going to kill him as, as the story always goes. And I, I, that is a good point. I mean, kind of the flipping of, you know, who's in charge, I think makes a lot of sense, especially, I mean, he's kind of been withering down Robert Pattinson the entire movie, even the scene where it's like, oh, you didn't. He's being gaslit. He's being gatekeeped. <laughs> like, oh, you didn't clean the boss. floor well enough or whatever. Like, it, I don't think it was that bad. It's just Willem Dafoe literally wanting to have control over everything. Um, so that makes sense, kind of wanting to reverse that dynamic. Another scene that I wanted to bring up too, which we already mentioned, it's the naked Willow Defoe scene with the spotlight with the eyes. Like this shit's got to be drunken dream sequences, right? Like this has to be some sort of dream or he's just blacked out and, and experiencing whatever. I don't understand it, but it, it looks cool visually, which I already said, but yeah, why'd you spill your beans, man? I, I don't know. <laughs> why'd you just spill your beans? <laughs> <laughs> also, there's like the repetitive nature of that too, where it's just like, I feel like I'm kind of going insane watching this movie a little bit when they say the same words over and over again. Well, and then they literally have a scene where they stare at each other and go, what, 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 what? Like, like that is so, it's, it's, I mean, it's a bit on the nose, right? But it works. That was in my whose line is it anyway. So it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Which one yeah. said it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the joke. But yeah, I don't know. Kind of plot points. I don't think this movie cares a ton about it. But past that, I mean, the ending... I think it's good. I think maybe it's on the nose of metaphorical, like, oh, obviously Robert Pattinson killed this bird. So, you know, this is what he gets for it and all that stuff. And, you know, he went about it the wrong way, getting what he wanted, you know, to get into the lighthouse. So it's going to be, it's going to punish him for it. Like, I understand sort of the the metaphorical, you know, what they were going for with that. I don't know. I just don't really love the ending. It's obviously a downer, um, which is kind of expected in a movie like this, but it's kind of like, I don't know. It's it's a lot of negative, negative, negative. And there's fun moments too. But the ending I thought was just kind of really gross and fucked up, which again, is kind of expected in this movie, but maybe not just my particular cup of tea. Well, gross and fucked up is the perfect segue to our ugly, <laughs> Cody, because this does not, you know, hold anything back in, in the in the realm of gross or explicit in its imagery um the dudes they be they be shitting and farting and pissing all over the place um coming at points uh there is some mermaid genitalia shown potentially yeah a lot of strain energy imagery obviously as well the lighthouse specifically is uh, a very phallic idea it is described in the script as rep being representative of a penis uh, in a certain way apparently there was in the original cut of a film a literal match cut between rob pattinson character's dick and the penis where it would be you know or, or sorry in the lighthouse his dick in the lighthouse there would be a match cut between the uh -huh. two um, which would be, you know, very interesting. You know, I think uh, we might need a director's extended cut to see that alone. But I mean, yeah, like you said off the top here, my my first one was um, the masturbation shed scene. And then I believe like uh, Willem Dafoe was also masturbating in the lighthouse scene uh, early on in the film because we see something drip down. So not really explained, but I believe that's what was going on. Uh, so just fun stuff there overall. Um, past that, I got a couple other little things. First off, I mean, just alcoholism, extreme, extreme alcoholism in this movie, I would say. So it's a little ugly. And then my last one, I mean, I feel like getting murdered by an axe, is probably <laughs> one of the worst ways to go. 
I don't know. I mean, well, then get, I, getting buried alive on top of that. I mean. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say too. I mean, first off, he gets buried alive while he's acting like a dog, which is pretty ugly itself. But then I think he's he's kind of faking, you know, he's officially dead, and then comes back with an axe and sticks Rob Pat <laughs> in the arm, which was a good shot to be fair, but it didn't take him out. Not good enough. And then yeah, Willem just gets you know stuck straight in the face to to end it all for him. You know, sad rip rip Willem. But uh, I mean, it, he he kind of did what he needed to. Like he he cut Rob Pat enough where he's gonna bleed out eventually, and eventually got pretty much the ultimate punishment for it. So. I'd rather go out uh, Willem's way than Rob Pat's way in this movie, to be fair. But yeah, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> both murdered by axe, I would say, is pretty tough. So I had, had to shout that out as well. I I did mention earlier that uh, Defoe and Rob Pat like did not talk, and they, they I was watching today. Uh, <laughs> Defoe did one of those Vanity Fair like you know look at my career actor <laughs> interviews like four weeks ago for inside and part of that he talked about he's like yeah I like didn't know Robert Pattinson like I he's a good guy like I've talked to him now but it was just so cold that and the weather sucked when we weren't shooting you were just trying to stay warm and then when you were shooting you were just in the scene working and that was just your entire day I I saw something else somewhere that was like you know Robert Pattinson went and stayed in a hotel and Defoe like lived in a weird little shack somewhere and (laughs) you know Defoe would more talk to the crew and kind of hang out with the low people and you know Robert Pattinson I don't know just like kind of hung out by himself because you know he he is kind of standoffish a little bit I'd say that makes sense and sort of just like method acting I guess it it works for the the scenes like it makes the movie probably better I think they they both are really good that does not surprise me at all that uh, Willem was like he probably lived like two minutes away from the set in this random shag <laughs> and Rob Pat was like hell no like I'm actually sleeping in bed and stuff but yeah I think like the intensity really does come out between them a lot and uh, yeah you know murder by axe that, that probably shows it the most so there's probably a lot of pent-up aggression just throughout the filming of the movie that they probably enjoyed you know the murder by axe scene a little bit yeah that is funny the last thing I wanted to talk about is are you familiar with the Let There Be Light Lighthouse auction from A24? Uh, no, I, I don't know what that is. So basically they did like a charity auction for this movie to support like the Food Bank of New York, which is a cool thing. I'm not saying that's ugly. Um, <laughs> so they auctioned off Wake's pipe and one of the uniform hats and the mermaid carving and huh. uh, the lighthouse station flag. And just to share, you know, the price some of these things sold for, the pipe sold for four thousand two hundred and fifty dollars the uniform cap was four thousand the mermaid carving was a hundred and ten thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars my god but the light from the actual lighthouse light was on auction as well um and you know it was hard to do some research but there was a little bit of controversy about it because there was an eighty thousand dollar bid that was put up and that was one but then a24 decided to not accept the money for some reason. I, I couldn't exactly figure out why, but I don't know. It's just a little bit interesting. And, and apparently it's now in a museum, which I think is great that, you know, people can go experience the light, but you know, I, I don't know, controversy, Cody. <laughs> wow. Someone didn't, someone, you know, maybe didn't have the money to own the light. They tried to buy it. Uh, who knows what happened, yeah. but they were well, the light. They would, A24 didn't want to give it up. They're just like the foe. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny with the themes of the movie, but yeah, maybe a little Joey Trimiani situation where, they bet they didn't actually have the money or maybe it has like these actual mystical powers. You know, I kind of like that, that uh, backstory. So yeah, shout out the light. We, I think we need to go check it out at their museum and see if anything happens. I think <laughs> uh, hopefully only the good stuff. 
Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back with Whose Line Is It Anyway? Welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway? This is going to be real tough. We got a 50-50 shot on pretty much all of these. Uh, you want to take it away, Cody? Yeah. And like I mentioned, uh, I did have what, 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 what as uh, one of my, but we'll skip over that one. Uh, my first one, and these are all just like funny lines that I think are dumb. So, uh, you know, prop that too. But uh, the first one is, I'm just joshing you, lad. Uh, that's definitely Willem Dafoe's uh, <laughs> Thomas Wake. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know, but I always just think it's really funny when somebody says uh, joshing instead of joking. That's like something in my common vocabulary. So I had to shout out that. But uh, I got a couple more. I'll throw it over to you, though. You got, you got some lines for me? Yeah. Uh, and if I had a steak, I'd fuck it. <laughs> A bloody, a bloody rustic. Uh, that was Robert, Robert Pets himself. Uh, great line delivery there. Uh, that's definitely a good one, I would say. Oh, yeah, top 10 stuff. <laughs> Go back to you. All right, my next one is, you're fond of me, lobster. <laughs> this is uh, this is obviously Willem Dafoe, you know, begging. Basically, you know, the truth is he's not fond of the lobster. You know, yeah. it, that that's the, the sad part. But he, he's really trying to convince old uh, Ephraim Winslow that he is fond of the lobster. Another great line re- delivery there from Willem. Any line that he sort of shouts, I think, is is up to his standard. So, yeah, fond of me lobster. Great one. Next one for you. And if I tells ye to yank out every single nail from every moldering nail hole and suck off every speck of rust till all them nails sparkle like a sperm whale's pecker and then carpenter the whole light station back together from scrap and then do it all over again, you'll do it. And by God and by golly, you'll do it smiling, lad, cause you'll like it and you'll like it cause I says you will. Contradict me again and I'll dock your wages. <laughs> Tough one. Um, I think the the sperm whale pecker gave it away, but uh, yeah, Will Willem Dafoe obviously in that scene I was mentioning earlier. I mean, yeah, lick, licking the nails clean that'd be tough. And uh, also, I believe he he did like dock his wages, um, anyways. So it didn't really matter what he did, but yeah, the, again, wasn't licking the nails well enough, I guess. Classic line there. Um, hang that one up in the loo as well. Uh, but yeah, love that. No compliments on my performance. Didn't but like impression, really one take, one shot, you know. I don't a, lot, know. a lot better than my accent. So I, I definitely give you big subs. Uh I got one last four in you here. It's a tough one. Again, it's it's a yelling line, so bear with me, but your goddamn farts. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh Rob Batson. He is definitely not a fan of the the farts. And I love that too. They kind of they put the underlying notions in. I mean, um, he farts basically in the first scene. It's like halfway through again, he does it, and then <laughs> Like he just continuously does it throughout the movie, and you're like, when is it actually going to get it mentioned? And then it's a great scene where Rob Pat is literally screaming about, you know, how much he hates his farts and stuff. So I got one last one for you here. You sound like a goddamn parody. Oh, I may miss. I mean, it's a 50 50 shot here. You sound like a parody. I'm, this is obvious. I must not be remembering the scene. Um, I'm going to guess Willem Dafoe. No, man, it's Robert Pattinson. He's he's telling Defoe he sounds like a parody, which I think is a brilliant line because it's like he's doing his crazy maritime sea shanty bullshit curse stuff where it's like you literally sound so you sound of a parody of like a character on an eye. And it's so funny, obviously, when you said it in like a movie and a meta nature of it, but like it's an incredible line delivery from Rob Pat. Shout out Rob Pat. I don't remember that one. 
but Corbin says it was good, so I back it. <laughs> Those are all my lines. I think right. this this may be the best episode of whose line is it anyway. <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna be able to top it either. I mean, the, the dialogue in this movie is is unmatched. I think for this category, so yeah. I don't know if our success rate will ever be so high either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it should have been hundred percent, really. Yeah, that's probably you sold like, on that one, Cody. So fifty fifty guys. But uh, yeah, I, I threw that one for the for the betters out there. So you're welcome. Yeah, that just gives us a chance to be better in the future. We we you know you can't be perfect, so just give it something to attain. Yeah, you you could, but I messed it up. Invite fight night, Cody. I dump thee, so William. Who do you want to invite on the podcast? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that I, I didn't even think about knighting them, but I am going to invite the birds on. Um, Interesting. I sure want their perspective. I mean, mostly because if we have either of these idiots on, like they're just going to lie their asses off. I feel like we're not really going to get any answers of what really happened here because they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, the other one was crazy. Like, okay, I, I don't need to hear that. Uh, but the birds, they would actually have perspective on what's going on. Obviously, they don't like Rob Pat, so there'd be some beef there. But I think they would be pretty honest on, you know, what happened with Willem, who kind of started the descent, what, what actually, you know, goes on in the lighthouse because – I mean, they can just sit outside and see what's going on in there, too. So I think they'd have a lot of perspective. And, um, yeah, they, they're pretty much everywhere at all times. So I think they'd, they'd have a lot of good info. Yeah, I mean, we definitely don't want Defoe or Rob Pattinson on just for the fact of, like, you and I soliloquize enough of, proof. Sure. like, we talk plenty. <laughs> we don't need these fucking two idiots to to go y- yammering on and on about their lobster or their shitting or whatever the hell they're going to talk about. So let's keep it to the birds. Or in my case, let's get the lighthouse on, you know, um, <laughs> we need to get the answers. I mean, me, you and the light. What do you think? Cody? <laughs> you know, in podcast form, I don't know if that's the best. If it's going straight to YouTube, if, if it's a straight to YouTube release, I bag it. But yeah, it'd, it'd be hard, uh, you know, to get some dialogue out of the light, I would say. Eh, try our best i'd like to have the mermaid on i think i could set you two up too maybe what do you think yeah you know i'd be a fan i was thinking about recasting the mermaid as like on a day armist or something but that's kind of just out of pocket i feel like yeah i was gonna i, I was gonna bring it up don't even touch the mermaid it's not worth it yeah there, there's no point to recast but that'd be a good one to have on too i mean kind of even if it is a delusional give a movie. voice to a woman in this movie it would be nice yeah and we i uh forgot to mention that in my ugly too but Clearly, clearly does not pass the Bechtel test. Yeah, I think um, getting her on, at least we would understand like what sort of part of the story she is, if she is real, if she's not real. So I think that'd be a good choice too. Fight, Cody, who do you want to fight? Who are you taking on? Yeah, you know, it's a toss up here. Um, another sort of 50-50 shot. If you pick anybody else other than these two, you're getting creative. I'm going to go with Willem Dafoe, pretty much just for not letting him into the lighthouse earlier. I feel like pretty much, you know, all the problems would have been solved. Like, even if he does go in there with the wrong intentions or whatever this metaphorical bullshit is, he's going to end up, you know, dying to these birds anyways. So I say you might as well let him go for it and see what it's all about. And yeah, kind of would have just solved the third act, most of the issues. Also, he had underground alcohol buried um, in pretty much the worst timing of all time. So yeah, not a great guy. I- I'm going to get Willem out of here. And and uh, I don't know if I'm going to go with an axe to the head, but, you know, we're going to get him a would you beat him up and then put him on a leash (laughs) i don't think i'd go that far either there's a lot of extremes in this i think i'd give him a nice nice little deck to the face that'd probably do the do the job willem dafoe has a face of a man who has already been punched and 
has taken it and and loved it a little bit i would say um but he's also on my fight list as well you know i think he he's he's the aggressor in all these situations like i said he's the gaslighter he's the 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 lighthouse gatekeeper um so you know he's the real problem obviously rob pattinson has his own pent-up issues um but defoe is really the source of uh all the strife here i back it i think he's the easy target here and hey you know, he's an old man, too, so he's not going to take too many punches. So, yeah, I respect it. Knight. Who do you want to knight, Cody? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down here. I'm going to knight Willem Dafoe. It's only for one reason, and it's just because he looks like a horse uh, when he's running, especially in the third act scene. He's a, bit, he's a wee bit injured, and he's trying to run back, and he's literally galloping on the way there. And I'll tell you what, if that's not the most commitment uh, I've ever seen in an actor in my life, I don't know what is. So, actually... I was fighting uh, Willem Dafoe's character, uh, Tom, whichever Tom he is. This one, I'm actually knighting Willem Dafoe just just for that run alone, because I think that's unbelievable commitment to the character. Yeah, fair distinction. I was also not fighting Willem Dafoe. I'm yeah. Thomas Wake. That, that he's <laughs> catching the hands, not not Dafoe. We love Willem Dafoe around here. Um, we also love birds, and we ha- we would never kill a bird. So I want to knight yeah. the one-eyed seagull just to kind of save ourselves from any. You know, we're two guys stuck here on a <laughs> podcast, Cody, um, and I don't want any curses to befall us. So let's not kill any seagulls. Smart, great hindsight, I would say. Um, but yeah, obviously we we don't support bird you know, uh, you know, death or abuse, anything like that. Um, so yeah, that boy, he deserves a knighthood. And uh, yeah, I think we should definitely give it to him. Pro bird, except for the fake ones. True, uh, except for the government controlled ones. But other than that, pro bird. 1890s, they didn't have that yet. <laughs> the recast. Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. This was a tough one. So I did want to, like I said, like, I didn't think it was worth even recasting the mermaid. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't speak at all. She's essentially like a Bosnian model, I think, or a Bosnian actress. Um, I I don't know if she's in anything else or or really much about her. But let's recast the main two. Mm -hmm. I'm going alternate universe. We take Defoe out. We replace him with another stately old man morgan freeman uh you know it's this i would say would be a little intense for morgan freeman i wouldn't i don't know if he's gone quite this weird ever or this uh interesting you know out there outside the box but i think morgan freeman you know in his later years could use a challenge and can really play the crazy up and uh yeah i'd love to see him play off like a younger actor in a, in a crazy situation like this and he would wear uh, that captain's hat like no other uh, I completely agree. I came up with a couple different duos. Um, to kind of you know get this pairing out there, and uh, Morgan Freeman was one of my picks. Oh yeah, on the exact same pages here. Um, I paired him up with Jake Gyllenhaal. I think that would be a fun pairing. Of I think Gyllenhaal could kind of do the insanity on Rob Pat's part. I think maybe like ten years ago we do like a Morgan Freeman Gyllenhaal version of this movie. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of the recast. We can put him any any point you want, Corbino. Yeah, I think Morgan Freeman would be a great pick for this, especially sort of that dialogue. I think he would be kind of ideal choice for that too in, in some of his past roles. But my other one that I'll I'll quickly go over too. Um second duo I was thinking of, and this was like the first guy who came to mind when I was trying to recast Willem. And that's Denzel Washington. I don't know. Maybe it's just the similarities between this movie and... Tragedy um, Macbeth. Yeah, Tragedy Macbeth. Obviously, the black and white and 
I mean, this movie's not dialogue Shakespeare as much, but it has some similarities. So I was thinking him. And then to pair up with him, who else? I mean, John David Washington. I think that would be an unbelievably fun Wow, movie. real father-son duo. I, yeah. I don't know. That might be a little weird. <laughs> but in the movie, they're not father-son. So I think that dynamic would be unbelievably fun. But yeah, those are my two duos. You know, take or leave them. But we're on the Morgan Freeman train. So I, I like that a lot. Fair enough. Morgan Freeman... I'm pro Morgan Freeman. I don't know about the, maybe maybe throw Denzel and and Jake Gyllenhaal. I I don't Just know. Just them. I don't hate it. But you got any other recast? No, I I couldn't think. Of, I don't know. I I think Rob Pattinson is actually really perfect for the role. I mean, so is Defoe. They're both great. I agree. I did have one other kind of just throw in a character kind of sort of thing. You know, some other movies too. They kind of throw in characters in the third act, kind of spice it up a little bit. So I was thinking throw in Matt Damon, sort of. <laughs> Cody, you're spoiling my fucking post-credit scene. God damn it. <laughs> really? Yes. Uh, that's tough. But uh, yeah, kind of just bring <laughs> interstellar-esque vibes to this movie. And what I wanted to do as well, he's going to be just a random ship captain, kind of a loner. But he, he comes to the island, um, you know, deep into the storm with basically just as much booze as is humanly possible. So he's just, he's just going to booze up, boost him up for the third act. Respect. And he's actually, he's going to get killed off with an axe as well. Uh, poetically but yeah he, he's basically just kind of like the guy who went to the gas station to, to get some more alcohol for everybody yeah cody you really have had my my number on these notes today you're saying everything right before i have a chance but uh let, let's hit the rating before we get to post-credit scene do you like me i actually didn't see what you gave this on letterbox so i'm curious to what you, what do you want to give this movie out of 69 cody uh, I, I think I literally just put my entry in uh, before we started recording it was at a three and a half for me I'm going to stick it at a 52 out of 69. I feel like uh, the movies that we've done on this season have pretty much all been in the exact same range for me, but this is probably on the lowest of the uh, the past three that we've done. Cause I think I had a 53, 54 with uh, Puss in Boots and um, whatever the last one we John did. Wick, yeah. yeah John Wick. X-Men obviously. Well, that one's a little bit higher just because, you know, I like that movie for some reason, but yeah, this one 52 out of 69. I think that's a fair rating. Um, I'm kind of a big story guy, I feel like. So if the story didn't completely enthrall me or capture me, it's going to be on the lower side. But I mean, like I said, acting wise, sort of technical wise, this movie's on a on a different level. So got to give it its respect. Well, Cody, I'm right there with you. I got a 51 out of 69. I mean, I go. agree. This is very similar. I, I like John Wick a little bit more than the other movies, but in terms of Days of Future Bass and Puss in Boots. This is like right there in that same range because I gave those 49s and 50s. So, yeah. but we need to do some uh, some bad movies soon, Cody, I think. Yeah. It's kind of just like, oh, it's the, sort of the mid-spectrum. We need to do like really good movies and then some really These are, bad. I would say slightly above average is, is where we've been hanging out. Yeah. Well, your rating system's all messed up, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now post-credit scene since you ruined it already. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? You were bringing um, in Matt Damon? I was bringing in Matt Damon. <laughs> I got it right here. So the idea was basically two new wikis show up on the island. Mm-hmm. They're just gone. The people are gone. Gotcha. Defoe, Robert Pattinson, they've disappeared. Who knows what happens? They've completely disappeared. But it's just Matt Damon and Jeff Bridges ready to take on <laughs> as the new wikis and man the lighthouse and then that's that's really just the scene it's just that they're going to be there and they're probably going to repeat the cycle of going crazy (laughs) nice setting up a sequel i like that and uh yeah interesting choices i think we haven't seen matt damon kind of do crazy psychological stuff too much i don't think 
So that'd be fun. And Jeff Bridges definitely has the chops to to mash him. So I, I like that pairing. Yeah, I just watched uh, Jeff Bridges' classic film, uh, R.I.P.D. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> what do you think about uh, his performance in that? Accent work is um, is top notch. I, I don't really think it. I think oh, you could oh. do that accent in this particular post credit scene. It would be it would work perfectly. <laughs> there you go. Get the R.I.P.D. Jeff Bridges in the lighthouse. I'm definitely here for it. Uh, my scene's a little bit different. Um, basically, my kind of thinking behind this is I just want to see Willem Dafoe with tentacles again. So I don't think we saw enough of that. So basically, it's just going to start up with, with the cops showing up to this kind of abandoned lighthouse. They've walked past Robert Pattinson's body. You know, the birds are still doing whatever they want to it. And they end up finding uh, Willem's body and um there's a cut and then it's uh, like the the classic crime scene craft where you know there's tape everywhere i don't even know what you know tape in the 1890s yeah maybe this is you know 100 years down the line i I don't even know but basically tentacles start yeah exactly gave me an idea keep going (laughs) (laughs) but anyways tentacles just pop out of willem defoe basically and he kills everybody so yeah kind of just a fun action scene at the end here's another idea Mm -hmm. flash forward to 1990 <laughs> explorers discover this island and find the remnants and it's an archaeological dig site where they're discovering the stuff and then they get attacked by a sea monster that's not bad and uh, willem defoe is there as well but yeah i'm done yeah willem defoe uh is like the ghost <laughs> of the island and, and he's whispering in people's ear um i do want to say the character that willem defoe plays in aquaman is volko for the record <laughs> just what gotcha. i felt the need to to wrap that up at the end here yeah, basically, he's the one who's like uh, Aquaman's mentor. Basically. He trains him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he helps him. Nicole Kidman says, hey, go train my son. Would have never guessed his character name, but he's good in Aquaman. I don't, also I don't star of uh, Justice League. <laughs> he's in it. He's in the Snyder Cut. Yeah, he's in, oh, he's in Justice yeah. League. Yeah, he is. He shows up very briefly. He looks different, I think. It's, you know, completely different character, basically. Just like Amber Heard. Six degrees of Dave. I recognize this animal. We brought some over a flame to the show. We're going to be connecting Willem Dafoe to Dave Batista. Cody, do you want to take it away? I'm sure it's going to be a, a long one as usual. <laughs> <laughs> I will take it away. I actually kept it pretty short uh, this time. You know, Willem's in a lot of movies. The one that really stuck out to me of one that I almost forgot he was in too, but a really good uh, movie is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Really underrated, I think, animated movie. Uh, Wes Anderson joint, obviously. And with that, who else are you going to connect? But the Clune man, George Clooney. I feel like we haven't talked about him in a while in the pod, so got to shout him out. And of course, I mean, his, his massive franchise is Ocean's Eleven, so I wanted to connect that. Going through there, I feel like you can go pretty much any sort of direction you'd want to get to Dave. There's 11 of them. Yeah, I, I took one of the shortest ones, I would say, and, and singled out the eating man himself, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> then of course one of my favorite movies of his is fight club with edward norton and edward norton was in glass onion there it is. with dave batista so i believe that is only five degrees of dave this week uh compared to my like 10 and 15 from the last couple weeks so i decided to take it easy on him but yeah love ed norton and uh love george clooney so i had to get them involved i love that path oceans 11 one of my favorites absolute classic, classic. Yeah. steven soderbergh one of the goats I do actually want to inform you that Dave Batista and Willem Dafoe were apparently in a movie together, allegedly, according to IMDb. They mm. were in My Son, My Son, What Have Ye Done, which is a movie <laughs> that is from 2009 oh, wow. and stars Michael Shannon 
as well as Willem Dafoe in the secondary role. But it lists will uh, lists Dave Batista as playing just a police officer, basically. So like, I don't think he has a speaking line or like, I, I couldn't even find like an image of him in the movie. He may not even be in it. It could all just be a lie. Mm-hmm. But allegedly, they did appear in the same movie. That's not going to be my path, though. Yeah, my path here is going to start with Dave Batista and go to, uh, you know, Fast Ten's coming out. So I'm thinking of Vin Diesel's on the brain. So let's go to 2013's uh, Riddick, which is the uh, third installment in the Riddick franchise. Uh, we actually just recently talked about it on our Tokyo Drift episode that I did with Jackson Carter that will be coming out at the end of May. So listen to that, a fast conversation. Um, so Riddick, Dave Batista was in that. You know who else was in that, Cody? A favorite of yours, Carl Urban. Yeah, I uh, couldn't tell you what character he plays in that. But in the movie Thor Ragnarok, he plays Scourge, uh, the dude with the bald head and like the tattoos. Um, also in Thor Ragnarok, uh, Idris Elba as Heimdall, classic. And uh, he voices Fluke, who is a seal in Finding Dory. And as well, Willem Dafoe plays Gil in Finding Dory. <laughs> wow. The Finding Dory connection. I would have never guessed that. Underrated. Probably. Actually, I've, I've only seen it once and I didn't want to really yeah. watch it. It's okay. I didn't know Idris was in it either, to be fair. But yeah, that is funny. I did not know they were in a movie together either. I mean, 2009 is like early Dave as well. Yeah, so- like I, I, he very well, I think he was basically an extra. I mean, obviously he was credited, but. I couldn't even find an image, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah, we need that picture of him uh, in a police uniform. Uh, we might have to scour the movie, just watch <laughs> it looking for Dave. I mean, it should be easy to spot. Yeah, I mean, pretty big guy, but love that. Great uh, six degrees of Dave, I would say. So. Let's move on to our final category, recommendations. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Cody, what do you want to talk about? What have you been into? I don't have too much. Um... Haven't been doing a ton recently. The one thing I did want to bring up is Succession. Yeah, looking forward to uh, continuing to watch Succession as it plays out. I'm going to be tuning in on the Max app from Discovery and Warner. <laughs> the, new, the new Blue Max. Yeah, there's a lot of movie news in general. That's a real questionable one. But yeah, that was all the recs I really had for this week. I have kind of been slack in the past couple of days since we recorded, but I'll definitely throw it over to you. What, uh, what recs you got for everybody? I think I kind of mentioned this in the last episode, but I, I, as it's beginning to expand throughout the country, I would really recommend people go check out the movie How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It is genuinely like thrilling. It is basically a heist movie with obviously, you know, some sociopolitical opinions and undertones and, and well, not even undertones, like very clear messaging. It's literally in the title. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's a really incredible movie. The direction is awesome. The editing is fantastic from the short little interlude opening that it gives you throughout the entire film it's extremely high paced and and gripping throughout um i think i'm probably going to go see it again in theaters um because i saw it by myself originally i'll probably go with mina to see it again um so yeah if you have a chance to go check out how to blow up a pipeline it's really great a lot of actors that i think will probably continue to be in a lot of things moving forward and and a couple semi-recognizable faces um but i i think the coolest thing about it is like it is Ocean Eleven's esque, but it's also got an incredibly like interesting and diverse group of people. Like it is all these young people coming together for a common cause, but they all come from different backgrounds and have, you know, different reasons for the feelings. And 
the movie explains to you why they're doing this and it makes it very clear, you know, why this is important to them and, you know, why these ideals are important to society. So uh, I, I think it's very strong. I would definitely recommend people go give it a chance. Check it out. Yeah, I, I saw your letterbox review of it as well. Um, pretty high rating from you. So, yeah, might be up to one I, I definitely check out. Um, and then I, I did go see the uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie on Saturday. Yeah, we were talking about um, that a little bit. I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's I, I think the expert like people raved about it. I, I was never even really super interested in the movie from the trailer. Like I, I didn't yeah. think it looked great. I'm not super high on Chris Prime as an actor. Like he's in a couple things I like. OK, but he's, okay. he's just not my guy, you know, Um, but I did enjoy it. It is a little bit of a high fantasy thing, which I don't typically, you know, go for. But I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought it was serious in an interesting way. It wasn't like meta and like for a dungeons and dragon movie you could have really gone like full like modern like let's be funny about it and have people playing D at the end or like be super self-referentiality to the video game and have some sort of like dice rolling luck-based thing but it's like it's super self-serious it's set in this world and it's it's like it's a comedy but it's serious in the way that lord of the rings is reverent for the material that it it has right whereas a lot of like mcu comedies now are just like let's have a quip here and make a dumb joke and make a joke about the situation that we're in and not appreciate the real world i i thought that it was at least interesting and in, and in being you know self-serious in that way um it's written and directed by the people like who made game night and did a pass on the spider-man homecoming script and have done a pass on the upcoming flash movie one of them is john francis daly who we've talked about um a little bit on the past um, going back to our jumping the shark episode where he, his character dies in bones. <laughs> oh, okay. I did not remember that. He's but... also in freaks and geeks, of course. <laughs> oh shit. I think and, and they made vacation as well. They directed vacation the the reboot with Ed Helms. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a good team behind it. Um, and I, I had asked you as well, what you thought on it. Cause I've heard good things about it. Uh, but just from like the trailer alone, I was like, this isn't really something I would want to check it out. I don't think so. Yeah, that's on my maybe list of uh, something to watch because I have heard pretty good things about it, surprisingly. Yeah, and you know, it was like a packed theater. So, like, it was a small, oh. it was a, like a small, one of the smaller theaters they had at the mall, but like, it was full. It was pretty much sold out. Every fill, seat was filled. People were laughing, enjoying yeah. it. It was, it was a good experience, so. That's cool. Um, yeah, go check that one out. That's really uh, all I got for Rex. So thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next time with uh, a, a special episode. Ooh, stay cabin. Peace. Thanks. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.